Amen. Well, I think I failed to introduce myself. I'm Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you know, I, as we were singing there in that song right there, you know, singing about our souls connecting with God, just so you know, our goal every Sunday when we get together is to experience Jesus. That's our goal. Our goal isn't to have awesome music. Uh, otherwise, maybe Paul would call in a replacement when he loses his voice. But we do want great music. You know, the goal isn't to, to have the greatest sermon ever, but yet I do spend a lot of time preparing. The, the main goal is that all of this helps you connect with Jesus Christ. We want you to experience the Holy Spirit. So I just say that just to reinforce that's why we come together. In fact, that's why God even calls us. He calls us to be in relationship with him. And so this is part of that process. This is something that, that God has given us as a church to get together, to worship him. And he is powerfully present when we do this. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do promise to be among us. Uh, you promised in Matthew that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And, and that where two or three are gathered together, you are there among them. So we know that you're here with us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work among us. God, there's some of us in here that need encouragement. Encourage us. There's some of us in here that maybe need to be convicted. Uh, not feel guilty, but convicted. And, and I pray, God, that you would convict us. Some of us in here maybe just need your joy. And, and Holy Spirit, the, the, your word says that you give a joy that passes understanding as we give our worries to you. And I pray that this morning we would experience you in that way. We would be filled with joy and peace because of you, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we are, but because of you. Help us to know you better and connect with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So my family loves water. Uh, if, if you were to ask us what we do in the summer, one word, water. Now, last summer, if, if you know us, you probably know we're in the process of building a house. So last summer, we lived in an RV for about six months. By the way, hottest summer on record. Um, in an RV, no power. I mean, we had generators when we needed. No water. We had a bladder that we would fill underneath once a month. And so water was, you know, conserved the water. So by the end of the summer, we just felt parched. <laughs> you know what I mean? We just felt dirty and dusty and parched. And finally, when the well went in and they said, you got to run the well for a day or two just straight just to get the gunk out. As soon as that hose was running, my kids were in the hose. You know, they got their swimsuits on in just a second and they were in the horse trough. And I mean, water, you know, two weeks ago for my wife's birthday, she asked that we set up our pool. We didn't have the pool last. We have these really cool high class above ground pool. Um, round one. And so we set that up for her birthday and it's not warm enough for that yet. Uh, but there's something about that pool. My kids have now been in that nonstop last night. So Callie and the other girls are out of town. Uh, so it's just me and Lydia hanging out. And I noticed they had moved the trampoline up against this pool. I said, what, what's that for? She said, we can jump from that. I said, well, show me. She was wearing all her clothes. I said, show me right now. Only if you get in later. So she did. She showed me how to get in. And I had spent all day already, you know, working in the dirt and, and working construction. And in the sun. so I was dirty and hot and sweaty. And it just felt really good just to jump in. Well, there's, there's something about water and about the refreshment that it brings. An ice cold glass of water on a hot day. Jumping in a lake. Maybe you've experienced that. A nice cool lake like Tahoe on a hot day. Well, scripture compares a lot of the spiritual life to water. And that refreshing aspect of water, God gives us in the Holy Spirit. 
that we can be spiritually refreshed, kind of that outside feeling we can get, we can have that inside. And that's what we're looking at today in, in the book of John. So turn to John 4 if you would. But we're going to see Jesus talking about water, living water. And he's going to use a, a spiritual comparison, which he often does, with something physical. And normally when he would do this for a little bit, the, the person he's talking to doesn't quite get the spiritual implications. But Jesus, being the awesome teacher he is, connects those dots. But today we're going we're gonna to get a glimpse of what God can do for us when we are spiritually parched, tired, in need that he will refresh us. Now, this is our third week. We've got one more week in John. We're doing kind of a, a flyover overview, and we're grabbing passages that you can't find in any other gospel. And what we've seen so far as we began the, the gospel of John is we looked at the reason John wrote this book. Again, there's four gospels. John's is a little bit different. And he gives us his thesis statement. He says, I wrote this so that you might believe, and by believing you might have life. So this whole book is written so that we can get to know Jesus and that by getting to know Jesus, we can have life, not just eternal life. That's really a theme throughout. We saw that the first week and last week, that this life that, that Jesus offers, and we're going to see this passage next week, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But it also starts now. All the benefits that God gives his people, we get right now. So he came to give us life but that life comes from believing in Jesus. And so that's another big theme throughout this book is that we get to know Jesus. Jesus in this book will say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So we get to know God by getting to know Jesus. And so here we are really, this is one of my favorite passages to get to know God because in this passage we see Jesus and all his Glory, but not as his heavenly glory. We see him at a pretty deep, real level, and I love it. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. We're going to kind of do a running commentary through this. This is one of the easiest passages, I would think, to preach on because Jesus does such a good job. He doesn't need much help. Uh, so let's look at this. John 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So here, here's this scene. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going from one place to another, and they, they had to, it says here, he had to go through Samaria. That was the area between these two places he was going. Now, we need to understand a little bit about Samaria. The Samaritans kind of hated the Jews, and the Jews kind of hated the Samaritans. Uh, long history, you know, read the Old Testament, uh, read Ezra and Nehemiah, and you'll see some of the reasons why. But the Samaritans were kind of a mishmash in their history. They were kind of half Jew and now half a lot of other things. And so they kind of worshiped God. They accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. But they also brought in other beliefs from other religions. And so they were right there, kind of like maybe Israel and Palestine right now where they, they're so close and there's just such animosity between them. So a lot of times Jews 
wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. It took a little longer, but they didn't want to get all filthy by going near those dogs, the Samaritans. So they would go around. Well, Jesus decided to pass through, and it said he had to. I think that's kind of cool because he didn't have to. He didn't have a, a time schedule of where he had to be. He had to, and I think it's in there, because he had an appointment. He had a divine appointment. He had a woman that he had to meet with, and she didn't know it yet. So he had to go through, and he stops now at a well. It says it's the sixth hour, so that's 12 o'clock noon. He's wearied. So again, we've seen that Jesus is God very clearly. He is the creator. He is eternal. He is God. But now we also see his humanity. Uh, this was kind of our first week. So if you missed two weeks ago, the podcast, uh, you, can, you can see chapter one about Jesus in his glory as God. But here he's also human. He's 100% God, 100% human, and he's tired. He's wearied. He's thirsty. So he sits down by this well at about noon. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So this woman comes to the well. Again, what time is it? It's noon. It's the, the heat of the day. And a well, it's kind of cool being in Africa as we were a, a few weeks ago. We got to see this. A well in that environment really is the center of activity. Uh, we saw when we were there still drilling in the afternoon after school was out, uh, early evening, a lot of the women and the kids would then come to the well because there was another well nearby at the school. And we were drilling this one close, uh, but they, everybody else couldn't really use the one at the school, but they kind of were. Anyway, they were gathered around the well. There were women doing their laundry, and actually they had a line run between two trees, and they were drying it right there. So kids were So that's kind of the picture of what a well would be in that, that culture is they would gather around, mainly women and children, a place to, to socialize, to hang out, to catch up on the gossip, whatever it is. That's morning, maybe evening. It's not the middle of the day. This woman is going in the middle of the day, and we're going to see why. She's kind of an untouchable. Uh, she has gone through five husbands, and now she's living with somebody. So she was, even in, in Samaritan standards, she was sinful. She was an outcast. She wasn't really accepted. And so to avoid their scorn probably is why she's coming at noon. Again, add to it, Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other, basically. And then in that culture, men with women. Men didn't often speak publicly with women. And here, Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman. I mean, this alone is shocking that a Jew, which would be known by the way they dress, a Jew speaks to a Samaritan woman who is also an outcast and not only speaks to her, but asks her for a drink, meaning he's going to drink out of her cup. That's another level of disgust for it. You would never do that. I mean, this is, again, we get to know God by getting to know Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is seeking out because he had a divine appointment to love her, to share his grace with her, and she didn't even know it. So this untouchable woman comes there. He asks her for a drink, and she points out the discrepancy. You're a Jew, and you're asking me for a drink. I'm a little bit confused. And then he makes this spiritual switch. This is what he's there for. He makes this switch. Now, 
If this was me, I would try and get the drink and then continue the conversation because he was tired from his journey and he's thirsty, but he doesn't. He just jumps right in and he makes this spiritual switch. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, living water in context, that would be like fresh spring water. Living water is water that's, that's moving. This water in this very old well, Jacob's well, which is still there actually, um, and it's still about 100 feet deep, this well is where they would draw their water, and you, but it's well water. The water's sitting down there. You know, who knows how clean, how cool. Fresh spring water, living water. I mean, there's something different about that living water. So it's like, it's like your, your warm tap water, maybe compared to uh, a fresh glass of fresh spring ice water. And he says, I can give this to you. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's, she's still thinking physical. She's saying, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a rope, how are you going to get water out? And you're promising this water. And then... She gets theological. This is kind of weird. Are you greater than Jacob? So again, here's this Jew coming through Samaria, speaking to this untouchable woman, and she's getting a little bit rude with him, uh, which is not totally surprising. And you can, you can debate what is her tone. We don't know. We just see the words. But she gets theological in that this is Jacob's well, and are you greater than Jacob? I mean, the Samaritan's great claim was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their their forefathers. Well, the Jews have the same for you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenants were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These promises were given to them. And so this woman now goes, you know, who do you, you Jew, who do you think you are? Jacob dug this well. Jacob is our father. Who do you think you are? So it's a little bit, a little bit rude, a little bit brazen. You know, I think we see a little bit of the personality of this woman. We know her lifestyle. And here, you know, this what would we do in that situation? We might get, oh, who are you to talk to me and walk away? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus then goes on to talk about this water. But again, when he's talking about water, this, this living water, she's thinking fresh spring water. How are you going to get it? He's actually talking about the deepest spiritual longings of our hearts. Scripture often uses water to refer to these types of longings. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. So before we go on, I want you, can you relate to this woman a little bit? This woman had been seeking for refreshment, fulfillment, satisfaction in other things. For her, it was sexual sin. She was pursuing these other things rather than pursuing God, and it, and it wasn't quite working. She was longing for things, and, and Jesus is saying, I can give you what you were longing for, which you don't even know. You know, right now you came for water. We all need water. But, but what you really need, I want to give you what you really need. What about you and me? Where do we go? Where do we go for refreshment? So when you're stressed, where do you go? What do you do? Sometimes we go to the wrong place just to escape. Sometimes sin can become an escape, whatever it is. Maybe there's a, an addiction, and we go to that to escape during those times of stress. What do you do? Where do you go? Where do you go for happiness? 
Again, I'm not crazy about the word happiness. But, but where do you go to, to be happy? Are you going to godly things or are you seeking it somewhere else? And the things of this world, here's, here's the booger thing about sin. It kind of feels good. It, it, it does offer a little bit. It's kind of like lukewarm wa- tap water, but it gives you some things. And then we, we keep going back, but it's, it's, not, it's not what's going to fulfill. It's like going back to a, an old stale hamburger rather than to the, the sirloin steak. So where are you going for fulfillment? Well, here we see that Jesus, with this living water, he offers ongoing spiritual fulfillment for the one who asks. You see that? He says, if you knew, that was verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him. You would ask me and I would give you. There's a little bit of instruction there. Ask. Jesus is saying it kind of subtle here. Ask, just ask me. But she is still thinking physical. She hasn't made that spiritual switch yet. But Jesus wants to quench the parched longing that this woman brings to the well. Not for water, but for life. 13 through 15 there, he says this, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, he's probably pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's still thinking physical, but I think, I think there's something happening in her. Again, she's talking to God in flesh. There's something happening in her because she asks. There's a little switch. Gives me a little bit of chills. Well, give me this water. Again, I don't, I'm not sure she fully believes. She doesn't fully get it, but she starts to ask. Just so you know, living water, what he's talking about, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Living water is the Holy Spirit. This is what he promises as he says, I will give living water that will well up inside to eternal life. Again, what's John's theme of the book? That we may believe and have life. And that is eternal life. But it's life that begins now. Eternal life begins now. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what he's talking about. And for us, this life-giving water is the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. At the moment of conversion, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, when you believe, or as it says earlier in John chapter 1, believe and receive, then you receive Jesus into your life. You receive the Holy Spirit, which indwells you. This is the great switch that happened from the old covenant under Moses, the Mosaic law, all the way up until Jesus. Something happened after Jesus. Remember Pentecost? Pentecost, when the first believers received the Holy Spirit, that's a big switch that happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed, the new things have come. That was never said under the old covenant of believers. That was never said of Jewish believers. This new life is because the Holy Spirit comes in and it's welling up. The promise in the book of Jeremiah, you know, God through his prophet, he says, right now you're doing religion and it's good. I mean, it's the religion God gave them to do. You're doing this, you're following these rules, but someday, someday it's going to move from external to internal. Someday I'm not just going to dwell in this temple. I'm going to be with my people and in my people. That was the promise. That's what he's talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. Look at John, 
I think it's on the screen. John 7, 37 to 39. It says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit. Again, this is an easy passage to preach because there's, there's nothing hidden here. There's no secrets. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and he wants to give it. The Holy Spirit in us. You know, as I was preparing and thinking about what, what do we get when we get the Holy Spirit in us? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He convicts of sin. That's one of the things actually before conversion, the Holy Spirit's involved, convicting, you know, helping that you feel that need maybe before you were saved or maybe you're here now and, and you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, but you have this inkling of, I know there's something wrong with me, but I don't know exactly the answer. And it's, that's the Holy Spirit kind of working on you, saying you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. But then after we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, and the Holy Spirit, Scripture talks about, convicts of sin, points out those areas where, where we're off, which actually cause destruction in our own lives, and God wants us to have the abundant life. So he points those things out to us so that then he can help us deal with those things. It's the Holy Spirit that comforts us in times of grief and trouble. It's the Holy Spirit that encourages us when we need encouragement. This is in your notes. The Holy Spirit will comfort, encourage, provide hope, peace, and joy from the inside out. Again, that's why I don't like the word happiness as much because happiness feels like it's, it's based on circumstances. It's ex external. But what the Holy Spirit does in us is it gives us a happiness. Again, I don't like that word. I like joy better because it's not based on circumstances. When life happens, you know, and as parents, we, we, we dedicated these kids today. Guess what? Life's going to happen. It's not always going to go well. There's going to be times where your daughter's going to file out of the treehouse and it's your fault and break her arm really bad and not be able to do this anymore. Yes, we experienced that. And, and, and you run to her and she's laying there and her arm's crooked and your wife doesn't even come over. She just goes out the front door and starts the car because she's like, yeah, we're, we're used to this. Now we're going to... You know, that's life. Or, or your child starts to grow up and they start to make choices. Oh, and they start making choices that you don't approve of and, and that aren't biblical. And, and, and well, we've already committed. We're giving them to the Lord. Life is going to happen and it does happen. So this joy that he offers, this peace, this hope comes from the Holy Spirit within us. That's what he gives. Again, so often we are tempted to experience spiritual life by religious activity. Here's what's cool about this, this living water inside us that when life happens, or maybe we have a need. You know, I've, I've, I've heard this before and it's not all wrong, but I came to church because I just needed some God. Like, okay, yes, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. I mean, coming to church is great. God, we're supposed to. Being in a group is great. We're supposed to do life together, but we're giving God inside us. I mean, how awesome is that? You don't actually have to come here to experience God. There's something unique about this gathering, and we're supposed to do this, but yet you have the Holy Spirit in you. I mean, some of the greatest times for me is just walking through the desert, and I've seen some of you walking through the desert, walking and just be still and know that I'm God. And there's something refreshing about just hanging out with God with no agenda. That's the Holy Spirit in us. That's what he's offering not religious activity. But now, okay, look back at the story here. She asks, verse 15, give me this water. 
Well, that part's right, so I don't have to come to the well. No, you're going to have to come to the well because that's physical water. Give me this water. But there's a barrier, okay? She had this need for spiritual fulfillment. Jesus is offering it. He says, just ask. She asked, but there's still something in the way, and that's what Jesus is going to deal with. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Just imagine her. Okay, we're going to see here. She's had five husbands, and now she's living with somebody. So here, this guy (laughs) says, go call your husband and come back. What's she going to do? Verse 17, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) I mean, look at that. I mean, can you imagine that? You're sitting, you're having this talk with some weird guy who has some spiritual insight, it seems like, you know, and then all of a sudden they tell you about your life that, you know, everybody else probably knows, but this is a traveler coming through. You've had five and the one you're living with now, what's he pointing out? Sin. And by the way, we've all got it. (laughs) This woman isn't more terrible than anybody else. Sin is the barrier that prevents people from experiencing this living water. It's the barrier at the very beginning, at the point of salvation. So if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, it requires this to begin with. Acknowledging yourself as a sinner. God, I have sinned. I have done things not right with you. But then what's needed with sin is then repentance. You acknowledge the sin, you acknowledge the need, and then you repent. That's part of belief. You know, John chapter 1, when we saw that you must believe and receive, included in that is repentance. It's seeing the sin, acknowledging sin as sin, and then not becoming perfect, but then turning to follow Jesus, saying, I agree with you, Jesus, that this is wrong, and I don't want it to be part of my life. Initially, at conversion, we have to make that switch. We have a tendency to go, I want Jesus, and I also want all this stuff, too. I want all my worldly things. I want all my sin, but I also want you, Jesus, because I want to go to heaven, and I, I want to be able to call you when I have cancer or my kid falls out of the treehouse, and I want you to pick up the phone, but I still want these things. Repentance means turning to follow him, placing him first. And so he points out her sin, which is you know, kind of the, the poke of, here's your sin, you need to repent. Hers was sexual sin. That's the one he points out. But again, we all have sin. We all have this barrier. And again, it is initially, but, but Christian, now I'm talking to the Christian in here. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Are there times where you feel dry, where you feel like you've been in an RV for five months in the hottest summer ever, and you just want to drink a water, and you just want to fall into a, a spiritual cool pool? Is there sin in your life? Because this refreshing water, the Holy Spirit, he's in us and he's not going anywhere. But sin is still a barrier, not to eternal life, but to experiencing the abundant life, to experiencing his refreshment, his hope, his peace, his joy. Christians, we are not to be grumpy, pessimistic, you know, angry people. You know, we're we're to be thankful, joyful people. If you're not, is there sin in your life that you haven't repented of? Is there something there? And you know it. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does is he convicts. You know it and you just haven't dealt with it. You've got to deal with it. If you want to experience the life God has for you, you've got to deal 
which includes confession to him especially, but it's really helpful to confess it to somebody else. This was the first message when Jesus began to preach. When he would walk through villages, his first message was repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his very first message. Now, Christians, here's the other part. When we are sharing our faith, when we are pointing to Jesus, how are we at doing this part of it? <laughs> Calling out sin and leading to repentance. We've got two extremes. We can either ignore the issue altogether, and by the way, many American churches have gone that way. We're just going to leave out the repentance and the sin stuff. We're just going to talk about Jesus as loving and good. Um, but, but we're not going to, not the dirty stuff. I mean, I, mean, I don't want to call you a sinner because well, that's not nice. I want you to feel good coming to church. And so, well, no, we, we have to point out sin because there is no life without dealing with sin. So it's not loving to ignore it. The loving thing is to point it out. But here's the other extreme. I'm great. You stink. You know, here's all the good things in my life and here's all the bad things I see in your, you know, the, the, kind of this pompous religious legalism that we, we can then knock people down. That's not, Jesus is so gracious. Again, this woman had been kind of brazen, kind of rude to him, it looks like. And he is so gentle and loving and gracious. And he points it out, but he's not rubbing it in. I mean, what an example for us of how to share the truth in a loving way. I mean, clearly God loved her. Jesus loved her. He wasn't just looking for another convert. You know, sometimes I think we as Christians can do that. We're just looking to convert somebody. Jesus just loves her and loves her very, very well. So we must, tr we must preach repentance. We must get over this barrier of sin. Now, let's look back. <laughs> she, uh, she now realizes there's something going on. You're a prophet, verse 19. Verse 20, this is, this is really cool. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Here's some insight in why I think she asked this question. So the Samaritans, they weren't allowed to go to the temple in Jerusalem because they, they didn't believe in, in the one true Yahweh God. So they didn't worship there. So they set up their own thing on, on the mountain right there by Samaria, and they worshiped there. Why, do you, why would they go to a place to worship? I mean, it's to worship, but there's another big reason they would go. They would go to sacrifice for sin. They would go to, to sacrifice and to do something to cover their sin. Jesus just pointed out her sin. She sees it's true, and she asks the first question, then where do I go to fix this? That seems to be what she's asking. You Jew, you say it's down there. We say it's here. I would like this living water. I don't think she's put those dots together yet. I would like to have my sin dealt with and covered. Where do I go for that? Good question. Where should I go to repent? And he responds, 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you 
and he. She asks, where do I go to deal with this? And he said, well, before now, the Jews have had it right. It, it, it was the temple. The Jews, you know, they received uh, the prophets. They received the covenants from God. It was there, but that's now changed. It's now no longer that temple. It's no longer this temple. In fact, now the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth, meaning it's not about a location anymore. It's, a, it's not about a place. It's about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the Messiah. It's not where you go. It's how you go to the one, spirit and truth. And he gives us the example because God is spirit. So he says, worship in spirit, meaning at our heart level, not outward religion. And again, the Jews were struggling with this in the first century. We Christians right now, we can struggle with this. We can struggle with outward religion that looks good. We go to church, you know, we go to Bible study. We do these things without our spirit even being involved. This was the conversation we had with the parents a little bit before we did the dedication, is that one of the greatest reasons kids who grew up in the church walk away is because at home, their parents don't live it. They see their parents pretend when they come in the church building, then they go home and they see their parents live differently and they walk away because those parents are not worshiping in spirit. They're worshiping outward. Their heart connection isn't to God. So we worship, I mean, from the depth, any religion, any activity that is good, but not tied in heart submission to Jesus really has no value. In spirit, but then also in truth. In truth, meaning according to what is accurate. Again, that's why John wrote that we would get to know the one true God. So we must worship in truth that it's Jesus, the only way to the Father, it's Jesus. But that word truth also has the idea of authentic, without hypocrisy. So we don't have to fake it. Great news. You don't have to pretend to be perfect. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't, when you come to Comrade, you don't have to dress up. We just want you to experience Jesus. But that's what he's saying, in truth, authentic, with who we are, with him. No pretense, no faking it. You know, our prayer is that we as a church would be this. We would be true. We would be authentic. We wouldn't pretend. We wouldn't put barriers between people and God. Authentic with him. Humble. We worship in spirit and in truth. And we come to the one we worship, Jesus, not a place. This is in your notes. We must worship with open hearts to God, honest about ourselves and to ourselves and in line with the truth of Scripture. That's what he's saying there. And right on to the next note, living water, real spiritual refreshment comes through worship. Not a location, but a person. It's about a right relationship with Jesus, focusing on him. So I, I end with, with just asking, where have you gone for this refreshment and fulfillment? Are you finding it in Jesus alone? Jesus said, just ask and I'll give it to you. And he says that to us too. Ask him. If you're in here and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, today ask him. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to take over. Tell him you believe that he is the son of God. You believe he died on the cross and rose again. And say, I repent of my sin and I need you. Ask him, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. Believe in Jesus, receive him as Lord, repent of your sin, then enjoy the life, the life-giving spirit Jesus places in you. So, so here's kind of that process. Here's our, our conclusion. Ask. 
repent, then follow. Find all you need in him because he offers it. And then enjoy. Repeat. (laughs) Repeat as needed. Because at times in our Christian life, we need to repent also. We need to ask him to to fill us in a unique way. We need to ask him for his refreshment and then do it again. And then do it again. And he promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you offer us life from the inside out. Thank you for the refreshment you give. Thank you that we can have hope, we can have joy, we can have peace despite circumstances. God, I pray that in this room today, if there's anybody that needs to surrender to you, that they would do it right now. That they would ask for this living water from you and that you would give it. I ask for the rest of us, maybe that are believers, that if there's anything we need to repent of, that we would do it today. That we would get to experience this life. Jesus, you're not content with us just doing religion. You want us to enjoy a full life with you, with you at the center, not just for our happiness, but for your glory. I pray that you would do that work among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.